This podcast is not personal financial advice. You're listening to the Aussie Firebug Podcast, the financial independence podcast for Australians. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Ask Firebug Fridays, the monthly fire Q&A where you guys get to submit your questions and I try my best to answer them. The three questions I'll be answering today are what Mrs. Firebug and I sacrificed at a young age to achieve our current net worth, the reasons slash perks of living in country Australia, and finally, why we're selling our investment properties. Let's jump into it after a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our partners at ShareSite, the number one portfolio tracking tool for Aussie investors. ShareSite makes it ridiculously simple with automatic holdings updates, comprehensive tax and performance reporting, wrapped up in an easy to use, fully cloud-based system. My favorite thing about using ShareSite is how easy it makes tax returns. Simply generate your tax report at the end of the financial year and voila, you're done. And here's the best part. It's 100% free for users that have under 10 holdings. If you have over 10 holdings and want to sign up, make sure you use my link to get the first four months for free. Head over to aussiefirebug.com forward slash share site to receive this special offer. Even if you're signing up to the free plan, using that link will score you four months for free if you ever decide to own more than 10 holdings within 60 days. Finish tax time with a click of a button using ShareSite by signing up today. That's aussiefirebug.com forward slash share site for your free four months. Okie dokie. First question for this Friday comes in from Kate who writes in, Hi AFB, I would like to know what you sacrificed at a young age to achieve your current net worth. Well, thank you for writing in Kate, that's a great question. Now, even though our net worth, uh, the the net worth that I publish monthly is a combination of um, Mrs. Firebug and I's combined wealth, I always consider it just just our wealth, like the household wealth. Um, We joined finances in 2016. I'll just speak for myself in answering this question. So I'd love to say that I haven't sacrificed anything because you really shouldn't give up on all of life's pleasures just to reach financial independence. Um, That's what I always say. I'm like, if you discover fire and you start hating your life and you feel like you're depriving yourself on everything, then you need to reassess your strategy because you should never feel like you're, there might be some things that, you know, that you give up and you might not like giving them up uh, straight away, but then over time you realize that you don't really care. Like, especially if you're coming from, a, a more traditional consumerism lifestyle and then you discover discover the fire movement and you realize that to live a great happy fulfilling life it doesn't actually cost that much money it might be a little bit difficult at the start giving up those toys but hopefully as you as you you know continue down your journey you'll realize that yeah the best things in life are free and doesn't cost a lot of money even if, if you have to purchase them so in saying that I would love to say I didn't sacrifice anything but there were a few sacrifices along the journey. And the main ones were, I never really lashed out on really nice things like clothes, shoes, and cars. I still bought them, but I'm talking about the, like the top of the line stuff. And don't get me wrong, especially when it comes to cars, like I would, and I still do, if I walk past a Tesla these days, you know, I stare at it for a long time. There's shoes that I've looked at. And to be honest, if I really want something and I, you know, sleep on it and I mull it over, then I will buy it. Like I've got a nearly a $2,000 laptop that's completely unnecessary. Like I do work on it and it is, I guess, a business expense, but I didn't really need a near $2,000 laptop, but I just bought it because I I, I wanted it basically with, with um, you know, I can't really justify it completely. But um, so I do splash out on things. It's not like I don't. Uh, I guess I've just, I'm aware more of what I'm giving up in terms of my time and energy because that's how I think of money these days. 
it, I don't look at money as just like a, you know, I go to work and I earn money. I'm like, that money is a direct result from the time and energy that I've spent somewhere. Now, at the moment with my freelance business, I quite enjoy uh, making money and working in that business. But there was definitely a time where I didn't enjoy work for, for a brief time there. So that was really when I scrutinized every purchase, I'd be like, I'm going to this place of employment that I don't particularly want to be at. And if I purchase this object, then I'm going to have to be at that place of work for you know longer than I want to be at. So yeah, that's how I think about money. And I still have those desires. It's just that I have less of those desires, I guess. And as I continue to get older, I do feel like I don't want and I don't crave as many things as I did when I was younger. And I'm not too sure why that is, but I think some, like the marketing machine and the consumerism world, like the, you know, the world that we live in, I think they do a really good job on thinking that you need certain objects to become um, a certain person. And that just really isn't true. So I don't really crave those really nice things anymore. So it's not really a sacrifice, but definitely when I was younger, I wanted a few things, but you know, I, I didn't, didn't buy everything that I wanted. The next thing I'm going to talk about is some social events. Things like going to the pub every week got really old uh, really quickly for me. And don't get me wrong, like when I was 18, 19, I think I was at the pub every single week for like 18, the first 18 months. And then I sort of got over it because I always hated burning so much cash drinking out and about anyway. Like I was one of those guys as, uh, you know, as awkward as it is to say to like bring a flask to the pub. Um, I always told my friends, I'm like, why don't we just drink at home in the comfort of our own um, lounge room and we can have, you know, we, we can be warm, we can listen to the music we want to listen to. And back then, the main goal was to get intoxicated and I don't drink like that anymore, but I, I, I could never understand. I'm like, why are we going to the pub? Um, we can just do it at home. But as I got older, especially when I, when I moved to London, I understood how great social outings can be at a pub with your friends. Like I did all... All my drinking in London was basically at the pub. I, I, I never really bought a six pack and just drank it on the couch. Um, so I understand that social events and gatherings can be really fun. And I didn't regret not going to the pub every weekend past like 21. That's not a huge regret, but there were some social events that I do regret not attending. Now, I hate to admit it, but sometimes I would say no to trips to Melbourne with the boys or an overseas trip because I was thinking on how much it was going to cost. And in hindsight, this was a mistake because one, it wouldn't have moved the needle much anyway. Like I look back on how much those trips cost. Yes, they might've been a few thousand dollars, but it really, like I'd be happy to work a bit longer now to, you know, to get to our current net worth that we are now and just have paid for that trip back then. And that's one factor that it wouldn't have moved the needle. But the much bigger factor and everyone out there listening, like you can't get some experiences back. So I'll use um, Sal Croatia when I did it in 2019. I, I just snuck in. I was still 29. So I did it in my 20s. But that's a sort of trip that it doesn't matter how much money or wealth you accumulate or how financially independent you are later on in life. If you say no to some of these trips, especially like the the international ones and trips away and everything. I'm not talking about going to the pub every weekend and stuff like that, but South Croatia or just international trips in general or just, just yeah, traveling, it's a different experience in different times of your life. So you really need to consider if you're one of those people, it's like, I'm going to get rich now, get wealthy, and then I'm going to do my traveling later on in life. That can be a little bit of a trap and it 
it really took me like living overseas for two years and traveling around. It sort of opened my eyes to that a lot because we had so much fun. And I thought if we didn't do this trip and there was, there was a moment, you know, where we weren't going to do the trip. Like if I'd come back in my even forties, fifties, sixties, it's completely different. Like Bill Gates could do sail Croatia tomorrow with, with a super yacht and all his billions of dollars, but it's not going to be the same. He's probably not going to have as much fun as a broke 19 year old doing sail Croatia. And that's just the, the, the reality of it. So it comes back to, you know, the one resource that we can never, ever get back. And that is time. So I'm just, I'm making the point that you do have to um, think long and hard about the things that you do sacrifice because there are, there were some things that um, I wish I could go back and, and redo, but I don't like to, you know, think about those things and sort of mull on on the regrets for too long. Uh, but there's plenty of things in saying that, that I have no regrets missing out on, but yeah, just making the point that some social events are very important and um, you should think long and hard before you skip them. Now, lastly, on the sacrifices, a little I sacrificed a little bit of my independence by staying at home until I was 26. Now, there's pros and cons with this one, but the last few years at home were a bit of a drag and I was well and truly ready to get my own place. And funny story, I almost bought a house back in 2012 because I really wanted my own pad, but the deal fell through, which ironically turned out to be one of the best outcomes for our wealth due to what happened over the next seven years. But those three to four years at home working full-time really leapfrogged by savings a lot. So I'll always consider it worth it. Plus, I get along with my parents, so it really wasn't that bad. Now, if I'm being honest, most of what I've already talked about aren't real sacrifices, in my opinion. The truth is, when looking at Mrs. Firebug and I's uh, net worth, we were extremely fortunate that a lot of dominoes fell into place. But the most important one was discovering the concept of fire in 2013, really, really early on in the piece, and the philosophy on how to live a good and simple life. The next few years after that, I became laser focused on investing as much money as possible and probably went overboard a bit. You know, as I spoke about, missed out on a few trips to Melbourne, missed out on um, international trips with my friends. So the life philosophy of meaningful consumption optimizing waste and expenses and sustainable living, that has never left me. So people might look at how little we currently spend, um, especially if they're outside the fire community, and might think that we're depriving ourselves. And that's a common criticism. You always hear it all the time. Mainstream media, like look at all these people sacrificing their lives in their 20s and 30s just so they can retire in their 40s. But that is simply not true. And I can honestly say with hand over heart, that we're living an extremely abundant lifestyle in my definition that makes us very, very happy. And that's the most important thing in my opinion. Thanks for writing in, Kate. Okay, our next question for today comes in from City Slicker who writes in, Hi, Matt. What are the reasons slash perks of living in country Australia outside of the relatively low cost of housing? Thanks, City Slicker. Thank you for writing in, mate. And this is a timely question as the wife and I were just talking about this on a walk the other day. Now, I won't try to list all the pros and cons, but I think I'll just talk about why we decided to move back to the country after a two-year stint in one of the biggest cities in the world, being London. So first and foremost, we moved back to the country and bought a house to be close to family. Mrs. Firebug's entire family 
her parents, her three siblings, all the nieces and nephews, all the niblets. I actually don't know if that's a real word, uh, just sidebar niblets. I heard it in London and I feel as though it's slang, but yeah, if you've, if you've heard of that before, I'd like to also know. So everyone in her family lived in our hometown. Now, words cannot describe how great this is. The support network with children is next level. Family events are only ever 10 10 or so minutes away, and most of us live within walking distance, which means we can get back home if we ever have a few too many drinks at one of the houses. It's a real great sense of community. I love it. I love it so much. It was the main driver of moving back to our country town. Now, my parents also live in the town, which makes everything so much easier in general, but my two older sisters uh, don't live here. They actually live a fair bit away. I think the closest is at the moment, 45 minutes, but they're actually moving like like three hours away or something like that, which sucks. And then my other sister is like an hour 20 away. Now, we make an effort to see them and their children, but it's obviously nowhere near as convenient as having everyone in the one spot. This isn't necessarily specific to the country, but I just thought I'd mention that that was the main driver for us moving back and buying a house, 100%. That that trumped everything. So the other pros that I see just off the top of my head uh, in the country, obviously you hit the nail on the head, is the low cost of living house prices. I really can't emphasize this point enough because, man, sometimes I see the house prices of Sydney and Melbourne and not even just like, CBD, Sydney and Melbourne. It's like an hour out of Sydney and Melbourne. And me and the wife talk about it all the time. How lucky we are to be from a low cost area and have the family there because I know everyone is free to move, but the relationships you build when you grow up with family, friends and community, that can't be understated. And I know like some people, you know, online forums, on the news, YouTube, whatever, they'll just say like, yeah, just move, you know, uproot your whole life and move away to a low cost uh, living area. Sounds good, but I don't think it's very practical for a lot of people. I totally understand that. And I I just, I feel extremely fortunate that we're from a low cost uh, living area because it it helps so much. Now, um, another few points living in the country, I can ride my bike from one end of town to the other in less than 20 minutes. So there's nowhere, nowhere in my hometown that I can't get to within a reasonable time frame on a bike, which is just awesome. Another one is access to the great outdoors. I have the beach, rainforest, the snow fields, and a national park or a few national parks, I think, all within 1.5 hours drive. And some of those things being a lot quicker, a lot quicker. I think I can get to the snow in like an hour and I can get to the beach in under one and a half hours, which is very cool. And that's very unique where I'm from. Like I'm from Latrobe, Latrobe City, in Victoria. And that is awesome that I have them um, all at my disposal. And a lot of places, a lot of places in the world that a country do not have that. Like you think about the East Coast of America, even like there are some places you can live in or some states, I can't think of any at the top of my head, but it's a long way away from anywhere, like a long way away from the beach. And then the beach isn't, you know, might not be as good, probably not as good. Definitely a long way away from uh, mountains, snow mountains, like it's just very, we're very lucky where we are in Latrobe City. Next one is a more relaxed pace of living because my goodness was everyone in a hurry in London. 
And you sort of get caught up in it. Like for anyone out there that's been and lived in London, like, or any of the major cities, New York, um, Hong Kong, whatever, you get caught up in it. And at the start, I wasn't. And then towards the end, I was getting caught up in it. It was crazy. I don't understand how it happened. Like I was running to catch the trains and I was thinking, why am I doing this? Like it, there's, there's one literally 10 minutes you know, after this one, I don't need to be running, but it's just, it just happens. I don't know. You just get, you get, you change somehow. I don't know. But moving back to the country has been so, so nice in that regards. I don't have to rush here. I don't have to rush there. And people just seemed a lot more relaxed and friendly in the country, which, um, you know, is it's a bit colder in London. Can't speak for any other cities, but people like don't say hello. They don't really look at you in the eye. And it's actually a, a little funny story about that was, we, we went to um, a few like country towns or, you know, smaller cities in England. Uh, yeah, last year we did that. And it was really weird because we've been, we had been locked down in London for so long that we went to these places and everyone was so nice. They were friendly. They were looking at you. And me and the wife was like, oh, like, are you getting, you know, people smiling and like looking at you saying hello, like, or is this just me? And then we were like, maybe we've just been in London for too long. And this is the norm everywhere, everywhere outside of the city, which was quite funny. But I, I, it was, it was awesome coming back to Australia and, you know, coming back to the country and getting um, that vibe back in our lives, which is awesome. Now, the last one I can think of, and this is a massive one that I don't know of too many people, especially if you've never lived in the country, um, know about this one, but it's the greater sense of community. Now, this might not be for everyone, but I like running into someone I know uh, when going for a walk down the street. I like meeting someone for the first time at work and realizing that I used to play footy with their cousin. Uh, I like the idea of knowing a lot of families and people in my community. That just might be me, but I really like that. So it's, it's strange to think about because when you're living in a big concrete jungle like London with millions of people, somehow, I, and I th- I'm pretty sure there's research on this, it can be more lonely, even though you've got all these people around you compared to a small country town of like, say, 5,000 people. Building cities to accommodate for cars surely has a big reason to do with this. Because one of my favorite things about the old European cities and the old towns and everything is how friendly they are to pedestrians because cars weren't obviously invented back then. The tiny, windy streets of Old Town in Trapani in Italy uh, is a perfect example of this. And I always think about this walking through the cobblestone streets, marveling at the church architecture, grabbing a bite to eat in one of the restaurants in the middle of the path. It was really magical. When me and the wife were over there, I said to her, I'm like, look, these cities are super old, but they've obviously been designed for people first. And I hate the fact that modern cities are designed, well, it seems to me, I'm no city planner, but it seems like they're designed for cars and transporting. They've got these big, noisy roads and cars and trucks and everything. And I'd really like to see cities and towns um, move to a, a design focus to walkways and bike paths and um, not accommodate everything for bloody trucks and cars. Because my, one of my favorite things about London was the parks. And it's so cool for anyone that's not been there. Like, you, you can be walking on a super busy street. It's a concrete jungle. And then you can dip off into a park and it's seriously like you're entering another world. It's like you're, you're stepping through the um, the cupboard into Narnia or, or whatever the movie is. And I love that because as soon as you went in there, like Battersea Park was one of my favorite places in the world. And as soon as you went into Battersea Park, it was just this haven of all these lovely trees, 
walk past, bike past, you know, lakes, you know, you just had so many things in there. And whilst there was a road, it was only, you could only go around the park very slowly and there was not that many cars. And it was just awesome. You like escape, you could escape the city and sort of go into this really massive parkland. And I just love that. And that's something that I miss every single day. And yeah, so that's a long-winded point about the greater sense of community. So I couldn't, I thought I'd list some pros about the country living, but it wouldn't be fair to just do the pros without some of the cons. Um, Obviously can't think of them all, but off the top of my head, here are some of the cons about country living that I could think of. Limited access to world-class concerts, festivals, and sporting events. Now, being from Latrobe City, we are blessed to have Melbourne just up the road, but it's still a bit of a mission to attend these events. Um, you know, it's like an hour and a half. You've usually got to book accommodation. Like it's your whole weekend gone. You're going to be wrecked after, after going. So it's not the easiest thing to go to. Now, living in London was epic in this regards. We could jump on the tube, pop down to go to the West End, see some of the greatest performers in the world. Um, I remember one day Spotify notified me that um, John Mayer was playing a concert in London in a few weeks because I'd been listening to a lot of John Mayer songs. And that was just so awesome. I jumped online that night and I managed to secure tickets. Um, Wimbledon, you know, world-class sporting event, one of the big four tennis tournaments was just, just down the road and on and on I could go, but I think you guys get the idea. Now, another point, and this is, I don't know how many people this will, will relate to this point, but in my experience, there's less desire to think outside the box, especially when it comes to working. I'm sure plenty of cities are like this too, but man, London was overflowing with ambitious uh, entrepreneur spirited people on a mission to make a real change in a raft of different areas. Like I'm not just talking about change in the world and you know all that good stuff. It was just cha- making cha- like systemic changes in industries uh, to be more efficient, to, to work better, to, to have it run more smoothly. And ambition is very contagious. And I work, I work with wonderful people now and I, I love the work that I'm doing, but there's simply not the same vibe in the office compared to when I was working at like uh, a WeWorks building at a startup. And it's hard to describe if you've never experienced it firsthand, but there's really something special when you're giving creative control over something and no one at the company does anything just because that's always um, how it's been done. Things are changing though. Uh, I will say that COVID has made it very interesting. And I think a lot of the city talent is starting to trickle out of Sydney and Melbourne. So this is one area to watch out for. Um, Having my own freelance business these days, I really long for the announcement of a WeWork style office in my hometown. That would be so cool. I would 100% pay for an office space for a few days a week if that meant I could be surrounded by other freelancers in the tech industry because I really miss that part of Melbourne. And Again, I don't know how relatable that will be for everyone out there listening, but if you've worked in a startup and maybe other startup scenes are the same, but like, especially in the tech industry, there is something magical about working in the office and it's really special. And I'm so glad I got to experience it at least once in my life. Last point on this, this is a pretty obvious one, is public transport because man, oh man, I did not realize how much of a difference good public transport makes, um, especially if you want to have beers on a Friday night. It really, the, the culture of a place or the the willingness to be social is so much better if 
people can get home and they don't have to rely on like their partner picking them up or, you know, getting a taxi, waiting outside for an hour. Like the public transport really opens up a lot of doors. And I, I think it's not really realistic to have obviously as good public transport as a major city in a country town, like just the, uh, the, the economy of it wouldn't work, the numbers. Um, but I, I really miss that. And I thought I'd mention that. And I could probably add a few more, but honestly, um, home is where the heart is. And if I had grown up in Sydney or Melbourne, there's probably a good chance that I would have stayed there and delayed my financial independence goal by a few years, I don't know, maybe a decade with the higher house prices, just because we, me and Mrs. Feierberg both rank the family aspect and like the community and the relationships very, very highly. And yeah, that in a nutshell is why we moved back to the country. And there are a few things that I think the country is awesome at. And there's a few cons that, you know, obviously a city can provide uh, better than the country. And I hope that answers your question, mate. Thanks for writing in. And last question for today comes in from Chelsea, who writes in, Hi, Firebug. Thanks for all your great content. My partner and I love your work. Have you covered in a blog or podcast why you're selling your investment properties? I'm keen to know as I've recently purchased two properties and they're doing quite well and I'm considering buying a third. Keen to know your reasons why you're moving away from property. Many thanks, Chelsea. All right. Thank you for writing in, Chelsea. It's another good question. Now, in a nutshell, basically, I can't be bothered managing the properties anymore and I'm very comfortable with the returns I'm expecting from shares. I'm not making this move because I think I'm going to make more money in shares, although I don't think uh, the share shares returns will be too shabby either. I'm very comfortable with the you know seven to nine percent, whatever they return long term. It's simply moving away from an active style of investing, that being property, and becoming a hundred percent passive, being shares, to free up more of my time and energy so I can use it elsewhere. That's what it really comes down to. That's the the main driver. I used to be really into property investing. I used to love it. Like it was actually fun for me to do, but it over the years, I ended up not liking it. Like it's not that I didn't like it. It's just, I become more focused on other things. Um, my business these days and think thinking of ways to grow and improve that is sort of my main focus, but I just wanted the option to pick and choose where I spent my time and energy. And I feel like property, it wasn't even, it's not even that bad to be honest. It's, it's active, but it's not as active as maybe people think. I just, my, my goal uh, with investing and like what I'm doing with the, the portfolio, selling the investment properties, going into shares, the main driver is to free up my time and energy so I can pick and choose and get that, that freedom back. And, you know, that's the whole reason um, that we do financial independence for, so we can pick and choose where we spend our time and energy. So yeah, that's sort of, I, I guess that answers it. And for the record, I'm not against property investing in any way, shape or form. I've just reached a point in my life where passive investing is a better approach for my wife and I's lifestyle. And that's really all there is to it, to be honest. Hope that answers your question. And with that, that is the the end of the episode today. So if you're liking these episodes, you're liking this podcast, please consider giving me a rating and review on iTunes. It really does help. And enjoy the rest of your Friday. Enjoy your weekend. Go Demons, by the way. I'm going for the Demons, although I love... Uh, I do like the Bulldogs as well. It's like both two great teams in the the grand final this weekend. So it's basically a win-win either way, but I'm going for the Ds. Yeah, enjoy your weekend, guys, and I'll see you on the next episode. Catch up. 
Thanks for listening to another episode. For all the show notes and a full transcription of today's episode, head over to aussiefirebug.com. Never miss another episode by subscribing to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is for educational purposes only. Nothing in this episode should be taken as personal financial advice. You should always do your own research when making any financial decision.